Hello and welcome to this holiday edition of Blacks and Whites. We are celebrating our independence on the 4th of July, and on this special program, we have the author of the book, The 56 Liberty Lessons from Those Who Risked All to Sign the Declaration of Independence. The author is Douglas McKinnon. That document and those men created our history. History which should never be bent, twisted, censored, or banned to fit any ideological narrative. If it is good, let's praise it. If it's bad, let's condemn it and learn from it. Let us never twist, censor, or cancel it. And yet, more and more followers of the left want to do just that, as they control the media, academia, entertainment, science, and medicine. Who is to stop them? Time is of the essence. We must find our voices. The 56 left the blueprint. It's called liberty. Welcome back to this 4th of July edition of Blacks and Whites. And with us today is Douglas McKinnon, who wrote a book, about the people who helped form this country, the signers of the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And, and he's going to talk to us about what, it, what these men did and why it's so important for us on the day we're celebrating the birth of our nation, why we need to understand who they were and what they were trying to accomplish. So, Doug, welcome. And thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's an honor. So tell us about your book. What, what drove you to write this book? So the book is titled The 56, and, and actually the most important part of the cover, Dan, is the subtitle, which talks about before they and the 4th of July are banned. And what happened was actually last July 3rd, a little bit less than a year from ago, I had no intentions of writing this book at all. And then on the 4th of July of last year, 2021, I sort of took a tour through some of the more liberal sites out there, be, be they cable television or newspapers, and I saw voice after voice after voice from the left calling for not only the cancellation of the 4th of July, but the cancellation of the founding fathers and the cancellation of the American flag. And that was on the 4th of July. So what I did was I just picked up the phone, I called my publisher uh, and, and relayed what had I had just seen. And we agreed on the phone to do this book right away, because for me, the last thing you can do is cancel American history, right? For, for right. me, if our history is bad, let us condemn it and learn from it. If it's good, let us praise it and build upon it, but let us never ever cancel our shared American history. And that's what terrified me was the fact that this movement is out there and gaining strength. I, I absolutely totally agree with you. I, I believe that we cannot, we cannot successfully grow and cultivate true Americans if they're not taught the good, the bad, and the ugly of how we got here. Tearing down statues and refusing to talk about certain issues doesn't make us a stronger nation. It makes us a weaker nation because we need to, we need to know what our flaws are. And, and the revisionist history to go back and say, well, Washington was a racist, we should tear down the Washington Monument. I mean, it, it, it's, it's insane because if you tear down the monument, it's just like tearing down all the statues, then what are you gonna replace them with? And where, where, are the, where are the teachable moments as young school children might go past a monument to Thomas Jefferson or Jefferson Davis or whoever and, and have somebody explain to them? I think part of it, uh, Doug, is we don't teach history anymore in the school. We, we absolutely don't, Dan. And, and, and you're exactly right in the sense that 
you know, totalitarian leaders are the ones that fear the people, that tear down statues, that, that sandblast the names of our founding fathers off of buildings. Again, if our history is bad, let's learn from it and build upon it and be a better nation. But again, we cannot condemn, we cannot cancel, we cannot censor our shared American history. And what bothers me is if people don't believe that this could happen, they have not been paying attention to the last three to five years in the United States of America, where unfortunately the woke cancel culture has not only smeared so many names, but really literally canceled so many livelihoods. And again, this is about the, the most courageous people in the history of our nation who created our nation. And these 56 men, when they signed the Declaration of Independence in 1776, every single one of them knew they were signing their own death warrant in. And what happened was so many of these men after they signed that Declaration of Independence, they were in prison. They had their homes burned to the ground. They had their livestock slaughtered. They had their wives arrested, their wives sexually abused, and their sons executed before their eyes. And these are the people that some on the left want to cancel. We just cannot allow it to happen. We need to have a sane, rational discussion about this. So let me ask you a question. I have not seen the book, and, and I hope to get a copy. Um, um, tell me how the book is laid out. Tell me the storyline. So the, the book, basically, the, the, the introduction in the first few chapters, what they do is they draw the parallels between the tyranny of 1776 and the, and the tyranny of today. And as I explained in the book in the 56, in many ways, the tyranny of today is much more dangerous than the tyranny of 1776 faced by our founding fathers. And why do I say that? Well, one of the things I outline in those initial chapters is that I believe, and a number of people believe, is over the course of the last five or six decades, the left has gained a monopoly on what I call the five major megaphones of our nation. Those megaphones being the media, entertainment, academia, and of late, science and medicine. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then they also can get much more done, Dan, by omission, right? If they don't talk about it, if they don't write about it, if they don't report about it, it didn't happen. Then, and then good Americans don't realize that with each passing day, their rights are going away, their liberty is going away, and things are being canceled. You know, so for me, one of the things I also talk about in the book, and I believe it may be true for you too, is one of my favorite speeches is Teddy Roosevelt's speech in 1910 that became known as the man in the arena, right? And Teddy Roosevelt wrote then, that the credit goes to the person in the arena who was fighting the good fight, who gets knocked down, who gets bloodied, who gets beaten up, but gets up time and again to fight for that cause and not the people in the peanut gallery that are criticizing that person in the arena. In the arena. And for too long, too many good Americans have been sitting in that peanut gallery waiting for somebody else to come and save them. And my answer is, guess what? No one's riding over the horizon to save us. It's up to us to save ourselves. So do you spend any time talking about the, the 56 signers individually? I, I, have a, I have a chapter on each and every one of the 56 signers. I go into their backgrounds, their courage, the, what happened to them, what happened to their families again. And it's, so it's a combination of that. And it's also, again, what, as you just said, they don't teach American history in schools, unfortunately, anymore. And one of the most amazing things, and I talk about it in the book, is Thomas Jefferson said that the greatest writer of the revolution was Thomas Paine. Why did he say that? Because Thomas Paine, as you know, 
wrote a 47-page pamphlet called Common Sense. Right. And what Jefferson said was when Thomas Paine wrote that, and by the way, Dan, in 1776 in the colonies, there were two, approximately 2.5 million people. Of those 2.5 million people, 500,000 either bought Common Sense or got hold of Common Sense. That's wow. the equivalent of 70 million Americans today. <laughs> and what Thomas Paine was doing in, in many ways, the same thing I'm trying to do with my book, The 56, is he was not only warning about the tyranny of the crown and the tyranny that was oppressing the colonists of the time, but he was basically pushing those who had the ability to do something about it to do something. And what Jefferson said was he, Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, John Hancock, Samuel Adams, they felt so much pressure because of that pamphlet that Thomas Paine wrote that that also galvanized them into action. And again, that's something that is just not taught in our American schools anymore. Doug, um, I'm, a, I'm a student of history. I've just finished uh, what is called an epic life work uh, on Abraham Lincoln. And um, of the 56, uh, do you have a favorite or two? Yeah, so what was interesting to me about doing this and what, why it was such a joy too is because you always, people always ask, well, did you, did you learn anything new? Well, I learned a lot of new things, right? But one of the most important things I learned and I put it in the book was that we, speaking of Thomas Jefferson, we all tend to give credit to Thomas Jefferson when we, when we hear the Declaration of Independence. And we're right to do that, but guess what? That it was actually Richard Henry Lee of Virginia who was the true force not only behind the Declaration of Independence, but the liberty movement in the colonies. And what happened was Richard Henry Lee was going to be the chairman of the Committee of Five to draft the Declaration of Independence. And more than that, he was going to be the person picked to actually draft it. But what happened was on June 10th, 1776, Dan, his wife took deathly ill. And Richard Henry Lee had to leave the Continental Congress to go back home to Virginia. And he said, look it, do not wait on me. He goes, and, and so that all of a sudden, Thomas Jefferson stepped into that breach left by Richard Henry Lee, and Jefferson became the person he's known to be today. But in many ways, it was Richard Henry Lee who laid the entire foundation for Jefferson to build upon. Wow. Anybody else that struck you? Well, again, it, there, you know, there were some really interesting stories in there, too, that I didn't know. For instance, uh, John Paul Jones, who was the greatest naval fighter of the, of the revolution of the Continental Navy. And I didn't, I'm from both, both sides of my family are from Scotland, for instance. And I didn't know John Paul Jones is from Scotland. At 20 years of age, he became a captain, you know, of his own ship off the coast of Scotland. But then what happened was there was a mutiny on his ship and one of the mutineers was coming at him to, to, with a sword and, and John Paul Jones ran him through and killed him. But then it turned out that that person that he killed had a very powerful family in Scotland. John Paul Jones did not believe he could get a fair trial in Scotland. So he, his brother was living in Virginia at the time. So John Paul Jones got on the next ship heading to Virginia in the colonies. But guess what? John Paul Jones's name wasn't even John Paul Jones. It was John Paul. He added the Jones to try to give him another layer of protection against the authorities from Scotland to try to come and arrest him and hang him. And that's how he became John Paul Jones. And then he basically went from Virginia to Philadelphia and said, look, it, I'm a pretty good sailor. I'm, a, I'm a pretty good with ships. I would like to fight for the colonies. 
And that's how John Paul Jones became John Paul Jones. And then after the war, after the revolution, Catherine the Great of Russia realized that he was probably the greatest naval commander in the world. And Catherine the Great made him an admiral in her Navy. I mean, you know, and, and then he, there were rumors that maybe he ended up snuggling a little bit too close with Catherine the Great. So <laughs> Catherine the Great's brother wanted him out of Russia and that's why he left. But it's just all of these fascinating stories. I have them folded in the book as well. It's amazing. I, I know uh, I can appreciate all the stories uh, as I as I was writing the book on Lincoln and uh, and things that I had. And I, I've studied Lincoln for decades and still more things that I learned about him that I, I never knew. Uh, history to me is not only is it helping us understand where we came from, but also it helps us understand where we need to go. So where, where can people, the, where can people get your book? Well, the easiest place to get it is amazon.com because Amazon now sells about 90% of all the books in the United States of America. But the good news is because they do that, you can actually get the best price you know, from Amazon and, and get it at a discount. And, and this whole thing is this story, what I'm trying to do is it's all word of mouth. It's about Americans talking to Americans about liberty that is disappearing and our rights that are disappearing. And again, what these founding fathers said, Dan, what these 56 men said was, unless and until they imprison us or unless and until they kill us, they cannot take our voices, they cannot silence us. And as Americans, it's incumbent upon ourselves to have a conversation with each and every other American, be it be at, at work, in our homes, at church, at the bowling alley, at the supermarket, but we have to have a discussion about our rights disappearing. And if we don't, one day we're gonna wake up with no rights and no liberty. Yeah. We've been speaking in this first segment with uh, Doug McKinnon who has a new book, The 56, which is a story about the signers of the declaration. We'll take a short break and be back with him just, just in a little bit. We'll be right back. Moms Across America and the Ashbrook Center present Food for Body and Soul. This 4th of July, we are celebrating the birth of our nation. Take some time after you have fed your body to spend a few minutes to feed your soul by reading the Declaration of Independence aloud and sharing with your friends and family what it means to you. The mission of the Ashbrook Center is to strengthen constitutional self-government by educating our fellow Americans, students, teachers, and citizens in the history of our founding principles of our country and the habits of reflection and choice necessary to perpetuate our republic. Together in one pamphlet, the Ashbrook Center is pleased to offer the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, as well as key writings from Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson that you won't find in other constitutional books to help you better understand the meaning and significance of the foundation. For a free copy of the pamphlet, go to getmyconstitution.org. That's getmyconstitution.org. And my honest answer was because I just felt it was my patriotic duty to the nation to do so, to try to get the word out there. And again, for me, it's not about political parties at all. Again, you know, we didn't talk about it, but so I worked in the White House as a writer for two presidents. I worked for President Ronald Reagan. Then I worked for President George H.W. Bush. And after that, for three years, I was a senior official in a joint command in the Pentagon. And so, you know, for me, all of these things have a meaning. And, and, and what was interesting, too, during my basically 22 and a half years in Washington, D.C., every two months, I would just take a break from work and walk down to the National Archives and look at our founding documents, Dan. I would sit in marble at looking at the Declaration of Independence, looking at the Constitution, and then to think that someday 
you know, future Americans or even current Americans may not have the chance to do that. If, if the tide keeps turning the way it is, that's sort of what galvanized me into action, into writing this book. And again, it's not about being in favor of one political party or the other, or one ideology or the other, but it is about stopping censorship. It is about stopping the cancellation of the 4th of July, the cancellation of our founding fathers. As you and I were talking about in the first segment, it's very complicated to look at to look back at 1776 through the prism of 2022, right? And then to pass judgment on the hearts, minds, and souls of men that we never knew and what they were going through and what was in their heart and what was in their soul and what kind of person they were. Because again, so many of the founding fathers were strongly against slavery. But again, you, it's very hard to tell that story in, in today's atmosphere. But again, but it's a story that needs to be told because that's part of the narrative of, of what's trying to get these men canceled. So when, when you were, so how long did it take you to write the book? Uh, probably about six months in total. Were you working at it full time? Yes. Are you a late night writer? Uh, I'm a anytime writer. It's one, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, I've, you know, I've, I've done about 10 books in the past. And, and it's like I said, the, the book was published by Post Hill Press and distributed by Simon & Schuster. So the first two hardcover printings sold out in eight days. So uh, they're getting 20,000 more copies uh, literally by tomorrow, I believe. And then what they did was they rushed out the uh, trade paperback because the hardcovers have sold out. And, and so it's been very successful for people that hear about it. And again, the reason it is, is because I, I think there's a real thirst in this country to learn or relearn, Dan, about our American history, to relearn about the 56 men who risked everything to sign that document. And again, and like I said, and it's, we are all flawed. We are all sinners. None of us is perfect. But these men did something miraculous and remarkable. And not only for the, in creating the United States of America, but that document and the Constitution, as you talked about, have inspired tens of millions of people around the world to not only try to do better in their own countries, but for many millions of them to the, come to the United States of America, the republic that these men created. And they did that because ultimately it's still the best nation on the face of the earth. It sounds like you're getting tremendous support for the book. And obviously there's a lot of sales. Are you getting any pushback? Uh, I haven't gotten yet. And, you know, it's one of these things too. Let's be honest. Obviously any of the more liberal cable networks, CNN, MSNBC, even some of the, you know, the major networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, they're not going to have me on as a guest. And I understand that uh, because unfortunately too many of them are in favor of censorship, are in favor of the cancel culture nowadays. And again, and, and my point is, it's not about politics. It's about what is common sense, pragmatic solutions for the American people and the American people. And again, so for me, by the way, you know, a little bit of my life story, I grew up in abject poverty. By the time I was 17 years of age, I've been evicted from 34 homes. I, wow. lived in, I lived in cars many, many times as a child. I lived in housing projects. But it was because I happened to exist in the United States of America, I was able to fight my way out of that and, and become successful and try to do something. And again, so for me, more than anything else, very much like Thomas Paine, by the way, who was, who was considered to be a lower class at the time when Benjamin Franklin encouraged him to come from London to Philadelphia 
to then write common sense. Thomas Paine had a gift because he came from the poor side of the tracks to speak to the working man, to speak to the common people. And because I happen to come from that same background, I believe it's incredibly important. And you're talking about 95% of the American people right now that are going through such tough times because of the economy, because of inflation, because of high gas prices. And again, it's let's just focus on what's the best thing for the vast majority of people in this country and not for the elites on either side of the political aisle. You know, it's an interesting observation. The, uh, the rhetoric now seems to be in two camps. You have the democratic elites who think that they have a responsibility to take care of, much like a master and slave relationship with uh, minorities in the United States, that they're just not good enough that they can do it on their own. And, uh, and, and, and so they're trying to change the rules to make more and more of them totally dependent upon the government. And, um, I guess I wonder when did a certain number of people lose the idea that freedom was important? Well, I think, again, if you go back to, you know, my belief that the five major megaphones are being controlled only by one side, one ideology, then again, then unfortunately the, the narrative builds, you know, in terms of that. And so again, going back to what you said about minority America, I grew up in minority America. Many times I was the only white kid in my class. And again, and I learned at an early age that black America was a great America. Some of my enduring heroes were single black moms that were working two or three jobs to feed their children. And I never forgot about that. But then when you look at now what the media does, everything, Dan, is, is seen through the prism of ideology and politics and the media. Okay, and so there was, you know, obviously the shootings in Texas and the shootings in Buffalo were terrible. But guess what? And I just wrote about this. But nobody wants to talk about the fact that over the course of the last six decades, just in one city, Chicago, Illinois, 40,000 men, women and children have been shot and murdered in Chicago. Okay, since the mid 60s, 40,000, 100,000 just in Chicago, men, women and innocent children wounded in Chicago. So why isn't anyone talking about that? And then again, you extrapolate that number, Dan, to the other major inner cities of the United States of America. And you're talking about since the mid 1960s, more men, women and children have been killed in the United States of America than all of the soldiers we lost in World War II. And aren't they worth talking about? But because they're in the inner city, they have no voice. Nobody, you know, nobody, nobody wants to be their champion. And again, this is sort of the, the constituency that I am trying to fight for, because again, these are uh, hurting, ignored men, women, and children. And again, and this all goes back to, it's about what's the best thing for the country, not what's the best thing for elites. Uh, you're speaking about the, the people shot in Chicago. Um, I did a, a recent commentary about the school shooting in Texas. And I reminded the listeners and the readers that in 2021, young people, now we're being told down into middle school, are dying from an overdose of fentanyl 
coming across the southern border illegally to the tune that in 195 days in 2021, more American children died than in the entire duration of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. In 195 days. Right. And what, what angered me is that we've got a president who's yet to go to the border, hasn't been there, and yet we have we know that the more illegals you, that come into the country, the more fentanyl and other drugs are coming across the border mm-hmm. in greater and greater quality. They, there was a, an arrest and a confiscation of 1,200 pounds of fentanyl. That's enough to kill everybody in the United States mm-hmm. in one bust. And, and it would seem to me that when we got at 195 days, into the administration and we would have had more people die of overdose and died in the war that the president would have said, wait a minute, there's something wrong here, but he hasn't spoken about it. He hasn't said anything about it. And I'm trying to get the, 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 the woman in charge at NIH into the fentanyl program to interview with me on, on blacks and whites and, it's tough as nails. I still don't have her, and I keep trying, but I I, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand how we have abandoned our children to this drug epidemic there, uh, and and what's going on in terms of murder and robbery and total disregard for the law. But in reality, Doug, isn't this a total disregard to the Constitution? It is. And it's one of these things, too, where you said, again, you know, this administration right now is playing to the minute far left wing of their party on every single issue that's helping to destroy the United States of America. And again, you know, we're talking about this on the 4th of July. Right. So guess what? Going back to Chicago, the people of Chicago in many ways dread the 4th of July. Why? Because every single 4th of July weekend in Chicago, well over 100 men, women and children are shot. And so this 4th of July coming up right now, you're talking, we'll see what the numbers are going to be, but it's one of these things and nobody pays attention. And again, this goes back to the fact that we have to start having a national conversation about what we're losing in this country. And what we're losing is our rights, our freedom, our liberty, our border, and the rule of law. I think the last one, uh, all of what you said is important. The, the, the rule of law and what we've done in terms of defunding the police, uh, diminishing the police, I, I absolutely understand that not everybody's perfect in, in any job. Right. And police have a difficult job. The, the news came out yesterday, you might've seen it, that they're talking about that they're, the 20 policemen in the hallway in the school, the door was not locked, but they didn't go in because right. nobody could make the decision. Anyway. Uh, it's, um, I can't believe that that we, we, we did 13 minutes there and, and a blink of an eye. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and to gain insight from what you have to say. First of all, let me say happy 4th of July to you. And, um, thank you for joining us and tell us where we can get the book again. Yeah. So happy 4th of July, Dan, again, the best place to get it is amazon.com Barnes and Noble or your local bookstore, but Amazon is the easiest place to get it. Do you have an audio version of it? It's audio, Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. Wonderful, wonderful. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been an honor. Right. We'll be right back.
and we're out. Super. Great job. That was so much fun. I really appreciate that. Well, I try, I try to give, give you a lot of room and a lot of time with you talking, not me talking, because that's, that's what it's all about. It's about you. And, um, um, it's, um, I'll look forward to getting the book and, uh, um, and either reading it or I love audiobooks. audio books. You love the audio. They got a great actor to do it out of Hollywood. And uh, I think it'll really speak to you. So how many, how many copies do you think you've sold? Uh, well, the, we, we were all, in terms of hardcover, we're over 10,000. Uh, so, and I don't know what the numbers are in terms of Kindle audio. I haven't, I haven't seen those yet, but I think we're doing pretty good. And then uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of Fox News coming up in the next few days. And I'm going to go up to West Point and do Fox and Friends live from West Point. So that'll be kind of inspiring and right. in front of the cadets. So will, you, will they bring out a paperback version soon? They have it out now because they ran yeah. out of hardcover. So they, they you can get the paperback and it'll be shipped to you the next day. Okay, super. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks your time. Thanks so much, Dan. It was awesome. Let's do it again. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. You bet. Bye.